Welcome to the Empowered Movement Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome. I am chatting with the lovely Dr. Lauren, aka Lorna Shadow. Um, I have a kind of a joke that I wanted to enter with, and I meant to ask you before we started recording. I was going to say that you're my favorite doctor from Down Under, and I didn't know if that was too cheesy <laughs> or if it would be like weird, but we're just going to roll with it. You're my favorite doctor too from Down Under. Too late now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Too late now. I'm so on board. I'm yes. on it. <laughs> Which you're like, amazing human and also the only Australian doctor that I know, so... Like you get it both. No, sh- you know lots. I'm just the best. <laughs> yeah, you're just you're just the best. You're my favorite. Either way, you probably would be my favorite. But I'm not like searching out any other Australian doctors besides you. Well, look, I'll take that. I'll okay, take it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, Lauren, can you give people a quick synopsis of who you are, what you do, that good jazz? Uh, so I am also a chiropractor. Um, I work in Sydney, Australia, and I have my own clinic called the Chiroco. Um, I'm also a pole dancer. I'm a competitive pole dancer and an instructor. So I teach, I used to teach at two different studios, but life is very busy. So now I teach at one studio in Sydney called Sydney Pole and then treat the other, well, I treat five days a week and then I teach two days a week. Oh, okay. I was always wondering how you balanced both. So you just do it on different days? No, I do it on the same day. So I still have two days off. Oh, okay. Smart. So you just have like some days that are super long days then? Yes. So every Monday to Thursday, I work until 9 or 9.30 p.m. at night. Hence the not being a morning person thing. Okay, okay. Um, So uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, I treat until 5.15 and then I teach until 9 and then Tuesdays, Thursdays, I start treating a little bit later and then I treat till about 9.30. Okay. And then your patient population is mostly pole dancers, correct? Yes. Pole dancers, lira, circus, all that sort of jazz, but yes, in that world. Cool, cool. So Lauren and I got connected through the circus doc. We were both part of um, Dr. Emily's first edition of I think it's called Circus Fusion yeah Yeah. I wasn't sure if there was more to the name um if you're a provider that wants to work with like aerial circus people highly recommend that you invest in that course um met a wide variety of different types of providers and um Lauren and I bonded because we both primarily treat pole dancers and we're both chiropractors and we were the only two chiros in the group and we both just happened to have the same niche but just on like opposite sides of the world so yeah super random amazing cool so cool because I don't think I've ever met anybody else that does the same thing so it's nice to be able to talk shop with someone that understands both sides of that definitely yeah I was um on the fence about joining it or not and then Emily told me you were in it and I was like okay cool like I'll do it (laughs) I'll do this round I don't want to be the only pole person and the only Cairo like I need someone to bond with on like either aspect like pick one but I got both which is super cool yeah such a bonus I know she did tell me the same thing when I was like talking about whether or not I was going to sign up she's like you won't be the only pole dancing chiropractor and I was like what that's so this funny. Amazing. <laughs> she used both like each other to sell it to each one of us. Yep. I love it. I yep. love it. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Um, can you, everybody treats kind of different, even though we have the same degree. So can you mm-hmm. chat a little bit about what working with you looks like? Uh, so for me, it's a lot of movement assessment and working out why, essentially why pole dancers are getting pain. And normally it's because they're doing something wrong. So it's working out what's not working, what is working, what's doing too much, all that kind of usual stuff. Um, And then I do quite a lot of dry needling. So that's generally included in most sessions. There'll be some dry needling of injured tissue, all that sort of stuff. And then some rehab exercises and home exercise programs to get all of that stuff working better. 
Okay, cool. Oh, and some adjustments here and there too. Should probably throw that in. There's, okay, that's what, what my next question was going to be. Like, are you adjusting people or are we just like driving yes. going in rehab? <laughs> yes. No, Um, there is some adjustments as well. I probably don't do as many adjustments as like your standard chiropractor. Like I know I've heard you talk about this before. People have that expectation of going to a chiro and everything gets cracked. I'm kind of lucky in that a lot of my patients don't come to me because I'm a chiro. They come because I have established a good reputation for my business in the pole world. So they've effectively been referred by somebody. Oh, that's super and cool. that's why they're there, which is good. So there isn't this like pressure to, some people don't get me wrong. They're like, can you crack my neck when they're here for like a hip problem? But <laughs> mostly it's not that. So it's actually, if I want to adjust them, I'm the one explaining what it is and what's going on and that sort of thing rather than them actually expecting or requesting it, which is good because it means I can do the adjustments I want to do, but there's no pressure of having to do it for the patient to feel like they got value, I guess. Yeah, no, that's really nice. I feel like that's most like evidence-based movement-based chiropractors dream is that the treatment options that you have available like as the provider you get to pick and choose the one that like makes the most sense for the patient's condition as opposed to patients coming in expecting to have like whatever adjustments or whatever happen and then you having to be like eh that doesn't actually make sense for what you have going on and like have that like uncomfortable conversation of like wanting to meet patients expectations but then also wanting to do what they like really need to have done for their condition so yeah, a hundred percent. And I must admit, because it's the easiest, I guess, thing to put on Instagram. I do put quite a lot of photos of needles in people just because the work's done very easy to take a photo, put it on Instagram versus videoing someone, me teaching someone rehab, or it's all a bit harder. So a lot of my patients do assume that I will needle them, but I found that that isn't necessarily mm. a bad thing. Cause if I don't, they're kind of like, Oh, I got out of that. Whereas if I do, if I explain it, I'm like, how do you feel about needling? They're like, I figured this conversation would come up. So it's kind of good that they're a little bit prepared already. That's awesome. I don't do dry needling. Um, I can in this state. Some states you can't in the U.S. Like, Yeah, the U.S. is a bit weird it. with it. Yeah, like it really depends. Like what we can do depends upon the state that we live in. And you can literally be like one state away in drastically different scopes of practice which is super bizarre, but yeah, the US medical weird. system could be a whole ranty episode for a later date. <laughs> we'll, we'll just like table that conversation. Um, but I've been like trying to decide if I want to add dry needling to my repertoire of things. Um, mm-hmm. But I get so anxious around needles that I don't know if I actually could do it or if I'd have to be like, hey, so I want to needle you, but there's a chance that I might pass out. So <laughs> like, if I pass out, like, just give me a second, I'll get back up. And like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not ready to have that conversation with patients. So we just send them down the road to somebody else that does it. Interesting, valid, I guess. It's not, you don't want to be, you know, spewing on a patient from nausea, but at the end of the day, I guess, I, I, I think it's a great modality. Like, I'm very glad that I did it and I find it really does make a huge impact for a lot of people. So it's definitely something I highly recommend if you can get over the phobia of it. Yeah, I've had it done um, to my own body and like responded super well to it. So it's definitely, it's like an internal battle of like, I know there's a lot of benefit for it, but then I also have this like weird thing around needles and like which one is going to win. So that's a fun, like random squirrel moment (laughs) of treatment things. (laughs) It's all right. Keep on with that internal battle and eventually I'm sure that yes, eventually I think it will too. Like the benefits will outweigh the potential cost of me like freaking out in front of a patient. We'll get it together. It's fine. Um, what in the pole world, since there's not a lot of us that specialize in pole, what are, let's say like three to five things yep. that you wish more pole dancers knew about their bodies, chiropractic, rehab, pick whatever. Um, the first one would be how to use their shoulders. I know you're a really big advocate of this too. This is something I've been trying to scream from the rooftop 
for years and it's been really nice doing the circus fusion course to see other health professionals agree with me and I'm like good it's not just me because obviously as you know there's not a lot of evidence-based treating pole dancers so it's kind of derived from other evidence and I, I was like I'm pretty sure that this is right and it was something I was you know don't pull your shoulders down and back that thing that I was pretty insistent on for a very long time and it's really nice to have this group of people that thoroughly agree for sure and I'm like well this way if you come for me there's a bunch of people behind me as well so we good (laughs) for sure for sure so that would probably be the first thing would be like stop with the the shoulders down and back thing and so I guess I guess on that point maybe a different point but instructors having better education on not just anatomy, but upside down anatomy. For sure. Like, again, the shoulders down and back cue is super relevant and super valid in a lot of things. But overhead pole is not one of them. Mm-hmm. So I think explaining the difference between that and say, for example, and I don't know, do you call it an Aisha, a static V? Yep. The like, yes. Yeah. Like that. One shoulder is doing one thing and one shoulder is doing the opposite thing. And people don't realize which one's overhead because you're upside down, all these things. So I just think it would be really nice if there was more education for instructors in terms of shoulders. What is the most popular instructor training course in Australia? Is is there one? Ooh, not really. Okay. <laughs> um, you don't have to do a course at all yeah same here I I technically yeah I technically have not done any official um pole training courses but obviously you know degrees in human movement go a very long way um but yeah there's no official there is a few options but there is no official course um the studio that I teach at has actually started their own instructor training course that's I think over like five or more weekends and it includes some anatomy and things like that which is really good um there are some other courses as well that do include some anatomy but from what I've seen it's not really enough and it's very brief and I guess the thing that I've also encountered that's a bit hard is people know that if they within reason, go to a studio and they move up the ranks and they make it known that they want to be an instructor, eventually that studio might hire them as an instructor. And there might be some internal training, but there's no need to do a course. So people are a little bit reluctant. So I know when Sydney Pole introduced their instructor training, there was a lot of people that were like, well, why would I pay this money and take this time to do this course when I could just sort of work my way in teaching elsewhere so I don't think the knowledge is necessarily valued as much as it should be interesting I I strongly agree with you I think more more good instructor training needs to exist um and I say that because I I won't say the course that I took but I have taken one because I was super curious to know what instructors like new instructors were being taught so I attended a beginner like level one two um course and Mm -hmm. wanted to rip my hair out for the majority of it because I'm like what you are teaching people does not follow biomechanics um does not follow like actual like the muscles that you're saying they're using in this move are like not the primary muscles that we need to be focusing on and also like Yep. Telling a brand new person that has zero body awareness to engage their lats means absolutely shit to them. So like, let's find better ways to um, use, use your words. Yeah. You need some better cues than that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I'm just having like a a random squirrel moment that like, maybe we should design an instructor course. We're just going to put that on the little notepad over here. Um, Yes. Do that because um, I, I've always wanted to do an instructor course, but it seems like such a big job. So A, let's do that. And B, my hopefully sometime in the future project 
is I'd like to at least design continued education courses for pole dancers or pole instructors. So not necessarily this is how you become an instructor, but this is how you teach about shoulders. Like here is proper aerial shoulder anatomy, cues for engagement and how you teach these things. And that way it's not a whole encompassing course, but it's just specific to engagement of shoulders. Yeah. And then I can sort of have little court, like mini courses like that as continued education where I can kind of focus on different things rather than trying to, I guess, teach some, like a beginner, an entire course. Oh, that's fair. But I'm definitely also, we definitely should also design an instructor. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, I, honestly, I like both. Um, and like, I've been kicking around doing like little mini courses but gearing it towards just like the average pole dancer where it's like here, you may not be getting like necessarily the best education about how to move your body in your pole studio, depending upon what each studio has as expectations for their instructor. Um, But here's uh, like a mini course where you can do it on your own. And so I feel like honestly, either one, like whether it's like geared towards an instructor geared towards like the average pole, like the information is going to be very similar. Yes. Yeah, we should definitely yeah, 100%. connect on it. I have an outline Good ready plan. already, so I'll send it to you and you can add your thoughts. Yes. <laughs> it would be, would be Amazing. Great. I'm down. Yeah, that took a, a nice turn. I love it. Um, let's circle back to top three things. I, I love it too. Oh, yes. So what did I say? Shoulders, um, instructor training. Let, let's count that as okay, two. Okay. Otherwise, we'll be here for a very long time. Um. I guess this, I don't know if this is one point or two points, but the teaching of flexibility, I I also think is something that is viewed as, oh, you can do the splits so you can teach people to do the splits because you lean forward to stretch your hamstring and you lunge to stretch your hip flexor. And as I know, you know, it's not that simple. God, I wish. There is so many worlds of, I uh, me too, so many worlds of ways you can injure yourself or injure somebody else in stretching. And I think instructors also think, oh, if I'm not pushing on them, I'm not injuring them. Like if I physically push them in a PNF stretch, I could injure them. But if I don't do that, I can't. Oh. But your information can still lead to an injury. Like just because you physically didn't drop them or push them doesn't mean you didn't indirectly injure them by giving them incorrect information. For sure. So I feel like that's kind of a big thing is actually the understanding, again, of the anatomy and the things that go on to properly and safely stretch is something that I wish more people knew. And I I guess a tangent of that, but let's call it number four so that I don't rant for two hours, um, would be nerve tension. I've I've done a few like posts about this as well. And every time I do, there's always people that are like, wait, what? I thought I was stretching my calf while I was stretching my hamstring. And I'm like, no, no, that's that's your nerve. That is not actually <laughs> your muscle stretching. So that's a big thing for me. There's so I find there's so many instructors that would sort of do a hamstring stretch and they're like, oh, and now flex your foot. And I'm like, well, if you're flexing your foot and that's making your hamstring stretch more intense, that's not your hamstring because your ankle does not connect to your hamstring. But obviously people don't know this because they don't have the anatomy knowledge of that. And when I explain it to people, it kind of blows their mind. And they're like, oh, well, hang on, that makes sense. Why would my moving my ankle affect my hamstring? But it's still so like widely taught. And I see students do it and I'm like, oh, point your toes and they seem reluctant because they, they're like, oh, but if I flex my foot, I feel this extra sensation. So it must be better. Oh. And I'm constantly trying to educate that it's not. Let's um do a little bit of a uh, more in depth on that, I guess. So okay. there's both muscle stretching and then yep. there's nerve. Do you call, I call it flossing, but gliding. Yes. What? Gliding tension. Yes. Yeah. All those things. All the different rules or names for things um how would you explain so like pretend like I have no anatomy background tell me the difference between stretching a muscle and tensioning a nerve okay so firstly muscles respond to stretching nerves do not respond to stretching we'll call it so 
if you're leaning forward and stretching your hamstring, provided it's a productive stretch and all the things, it will eventually help your flexibility in a roundabout, simple way. Whereas if you're leaning forward and you're stretching your nerve, that is not productive at all. So for example, when you do like a, say a pike stretch, you lean forward, you're stretching both your hamstrings. Your hamstrings go from above your hip to below your knee. So changing your hip angle or your knee angle will change the tension and therefore the stretch on your hamstring. If you're changing your ankle, that shouldn't have any impact on the stretch you feel in your hamstring because your hamstrings go nowhere near your ankle. So the only thing that goes from your hip past your knee, past your ankle is your sciatic nerve. And nerve tension exists in all the other nerves in the body too, but the easiest one is this and most common, I guess, is the sciatic nerve. So my like the easiest way I sort of think of it is if you're in a pike stretch, like or if you sit up straight and you flex your feet and you don't feel any stretching and then you go into a pike with your flexed feet and then you point your toes and the stretch gets less, it's not a stretch because when you were flexing your foot in a neutral nerve position, there was no stretching in your leg. But then when you move your hip you're, and you get that extra tension and then you release the tension from the ankle, if it decreases, it's not your hamstring. So that's kind of the way I look at it. Or like another way to view it is go into a pike with pointed toes, flex your feet. If the stretch gets worse, keep them flexed and sit back up. And if the stretch goes away, it's not your hamstrings. It's your sciatic nerve. Love it. And for most people that like don't know what happens when you go to get assessed by a doctor, this is a test that we would do to figure out like if your sciatic nerve is contributing to the symptoms that you're having is right. Like the slump test or whatever the one is yes. on your back and you're like SLR yeah, yep. and you like pull their foot down, like better, worse if it's pointed or flexed. Yeah. Which yes. is basically what you're doing. Like we're just doing it to you, yes. but like you're doing it in a pike stretch. So um, definitely something that more people should know. Yeah, yes, exactly. And I actually made, it took me a stupid amount of time, but I actually made an Instagram video where I used um, TheraBands to, on the back of my leg, one to show the hamstring and one to show the sciatic nerve. And I actually showed how if you move your foot, it doesn't affect your hamstring, but it does affect your nerve. I bet if you move your knee, it affects your hamstring. It's very time consuming, but rather cool. So if the concept confuses anybody, there is a visual on my Instagram, which might make the whole thing a little bit easier because it, it is a very complicated concept. Definitely. And it's definitely one where um, it, like, there's even like sometimes when I'm doing my own stretching where I'm like, I have to like take a pause and be like, okay, like something is, what am I stretching right now? Like, am I just tense, tensioning my sciatic nerve or like there's the same thing, like in your arms, you have, you have nerves everywhere in your body, but like, if you're doing any sort of like planky position or like extending your wrists and you're having weird, like intense sensations happening, it may be that you're stretching your muscles. It may also be that your median nerve is getting tensioned. And yes, that's a big one in back bends. Yeah. I find a lot of people get get nerve tension in back bends as well. And again, they just kind of assume that it's meant to be ridiculously uncomfortable and painful. So they're like nerve tension, numbness in their hand is kind of normal, mm. which, is, which it's not. Yeah, no, you should be able to, you know, feel your, your digits and yeah. <laughs> extremities on a daily basis and maybe get that evaled if you can't. Yep. It's always a good one to be able to feel your fingers. <laughs> yeah, no joke. And so, yeah, if you're experiencing um, symptoms like that, like find a, a provider that can help you with it because you, you should not be like having your hands go numb, like being in a bridge or um, squatting too is like another one, like barbell yes. squatting where people yes. will have their hands go numb pretty frequently. And I'm like, yeah, that's not normal. So yes, yes. Let's work on that, please. It is, it is com common, but not normal. Yeah, that, definitely. That's actually probably another point that I guess encompasses all of these things in terms of what I want people to know is common doesn't equal normal I think is a big thing for me so just because your friend in your pole class has it 
or the dude at the gym has it doesn't actually mean it's normal and meant to happen. For sure. So the same thing with with this nerve tension. Like everyone's like, oh, well, I also feel a bit funky in my hands when I bridge, so it's fine. Or when I do a bar, like I personally, if I do like a low bar back squat and I don't sort of get my hands right, I I do get a bit of nerve tension. Same. But I I know it's not normal and I try and be diligent about sorting it out. But I think, yeah, people assume that because they ask the person next to them, oh, hey, is, do you get this sensation too? And if they happen to say yes, they're like, oh, well, this is normal. Yeah. But common does not equal normal. Definitely. I feel like that's a perfect um, kind of squirrel moment onto something that is driving me bonkers lately is how yep. many people will – not go to a provider for questions, but go to a Facebook group, go to oh, random people on yes. Instagram, go to yes, literally anyone but the people that are qualified to help them with their condition. Legit. I, I, I have a reel that I plan on making when I get the time, so probably in about 10 years, um, about this exact topic. I don't know why, and I need to leave the group because it wants it makes me want to pull my hair out and cry every day. But I'm part of this Facebook group about flexibility. The amount of people that are like, oh, the back of my leg hurts when I stretch my splits. What should I do? Drives me mental. And then the advice on that makes me want to gouge my eyes out with a fork. Like they're just, some people are like, oh, stretch more and it will get better. And some people are like, don't stretch at all because you're feeling something or, you know, people are like, oh, do this instead. Like arch your, I read one and it was like, oh, if your hamstring's hurting, you need to put more load in your hip flexor, which is valid. You need to equally stretch your hamstring and your hip flexor when you split. So do these drills. And all the drills were, was back arching in a split or in a lunge. And I'm like, well, arching your back actually takes the tension off your hip flexor. Like it looks like it puts it on there but it doesn't because you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 definitely. So the one that, um, I don't know if I made a post about it or if I just like ranted about it on my stories was about what did the person do? She was experiencing, she tried a new trick. Something wasn't feeling right. She wasn't hundred percent sure what she should do for whatever reason, decided to ask a Facebook group for medical advice zero out of 10 do not recommend. Um, and the comments were ice and then rest. And then once it started to feel better, go back to class. And I'm like, I will chuck my laptop across the room. And then I had to walk away for a moment. And yeah. 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 So which I like, what, like I want to give people some grace because I definitely have been there where I'm like, shit, like I don't want to go to a doctor because I don't know how they're going to react to me saying that I'm a pole dancer or I'm worried that they're going to tell me that I need to completely stop doing whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't want to deal with that. I'm going to ask people that may have experienced this in their life um, and just see if I can get some, some advice, save some money, save some time, whatever it is. Um, But if you're asking for free advice, just know that you are getting free advice and free advice is not necessarily good advice. So that is so true, actually. Like you, you do really get what you pay for. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and yeah. yeah. So yeah. So I guess my my wish for people, and like obviously I feel like I'm a little bit biased because and I'm gonna assume you as well, Lauren. Like we make our living by having people come mm-hmm. to see us, but also know that by delaying just getting assessed by somebody, you could potentially take something like an injury that could take a week or two to recover from and turn that into an injury that could take a month or two to recover from a hundred percent so like is a hundred percent what is that worth (laughs) yeah totally or like the whole rest thing like I do get there are certain things in your body that just niggle and I don't know why I can't work out why no one can work it just hurts for a day and it goes away and but I don't think people realize that more than of, more often than not, when they have an injury and they rest it, then they go back to what they were doing. It feels better because you haven't done the thing that's irritating the injury for, let's say, the week that you rested. But the second you go back to pole, 
it's going to come back because you haven't actually fixed it. All you've done is not aggravate it for a week. Mm -hmm. So you've lost a week of just resting when you could have been getting it treated and getting it rehabbed because now you're going to go back to pole. It'll take a few days. Then it will come back again. Then you'll probably rest a little bit more. Then maybe the third time it comes back, you'll actually go and see someone. And by then you have lost a few weeks worth of time, made no progress and probably made it worse. Yep. And so like, like Lauren said, like sometimes resting like is needed and is valid, but where I think a, a lot of people, since they don't understand how the body works, is that they think that they can just go back to the same level, right? Like they're not doing some sort of like progressive entry back to whatever. So yes. that's, that's a, like a key part that I think is missing a lot in most sports, but we'll just stick to our niche of the world is that if you have an injury and I don't recommend that you do this. I recommend that you get assessed, but rest and like your re- return to pole should be starting at like a level one and then a two and then a three onto whatever level that you're at. But going from like taking a level, we'll say three class, taking a week off and going right back to a level three class is not going to help your cause. Like it's not going to help your body because you, like Lauren said, just like didn't aggravate it. And so it feels better. And it's not ready to go back to what you were doing because you didn't do anything to actually fix what's going on. Exactly. And even then, if they rest and then they go back to a level one, a level two and a level three class, again, with certain things, totally, it will just get better. But if you have muscle imbalances, things aren't actually working properly and that's why you injured yourself in the first place, going back and starting over still isn't necessarily going to help. Like sometimes you need more specific exercises than just easing back in. Like sometimes you need both. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes you need that the rest, the specific exercises, and then you need to ease back in. Yeah. And it's not generally something you can self-medicate. Yes. Don't take what I'm saying as like actual medical advice for what your condition <laughs> is. I was just giving an example that like would make more sense to me than just taking a week off and then pretending like nothing is wrong and going back to the same level that you were at. Um, because I don't know what, I injured my shoulder on Monday and like part of me wants to literally just do that. And then the like logical educated part of my brain is like, no, you actually need to address your shit. So this doesn't keep happening and (laughs) be able to live your life. Emily, go look in the mirror. Take your own advice. (laughs) (laughs) Do yourself. (laughs) It's hard though. Cause we think we know better too. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's definitely been a humbling experience. Cause I'm like, I literally do this like for a career. And then I'm having to be like, Check yourself right now, patient Emily from Dr. Emily. <laughs> Get it together. Yeah, it's the two parts of your brain talking to each other. I find that it's trying to rectify my pole dancer brain and my competitive athlete brain with my chiropractor brain and being like, well, where's the happy medium here? Yeah. And it like depends upon the day, which part of the brain wins. But a hundred percent. Yeah. Trying to make the doctor brain win right now. Which is a it's a whole ordeal. I love it. It's a good idea. Would recommend. <laughs> yeah, would recommend. But can understand why it's hard. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I'm getting treated. Don't worry, everyone listening. I'm being a good pole dancer and a good human, and having people assess and treat me so that I can fix my shit and get on with my pole life. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, I love it. Um, wanted to a little bit flip into how you balance being a high level pole dancer and a doctor. Cause you compete at like a pretty high level and teach at a pretty yes. high level. Yes. So um, what is your, like, what does your training look like? How do you balance so much physical stuff with your lovely body? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder that myself. So I I think I have eased back a lot on my teaching and probably a lot on my training. And I think that has been actually really important for me. So when I was at university, um, I was working at a Cairo as a receptionist and an assistant and as at a physio as a receptionist and an assistant. And then I was also teaching pole and studying oh full time and training pole and competing. 
So throughout university, it was very like tinkering on the borderline of burnout for a very long time. And then when I graduated and I decided to make the gigantic YOLO moment of opening my own business so that, as I'm sure you you know how the feels are. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that took time to build. And part of the reason that I, I took that leap was because I had the guaranteed income of teaching pole. So mm-hmm. I sort of knew that no matter what, I'd be able to pay my bills. My husband has a full-time income. Like we're, we're, we're fine. We're not about to lose our house kind of thing. So initially I was doing a lot of teaching, but I also wasn't doing a lot of treating because it was a new business. So things were okay. building, it was slow. So I was competing, teaching a lot. Like I think I was teaching about 16 hours a week. Okay. Would not recommend. Um, but yeah, I was teaching a lot and then training and competing on top of that. But I, wa- I wasn't trading anywhere near as much as I am now. Um, so as business has started to ramp up more and more, I have cut back on my teaching. So I used to teach, when I opened my business, I think I taught four days a week. And now I teach two. So I cut days and I also cut hours. So the I now teach Monday, Wednesday. I used to teach about four or five hours on a Monday and a Wednesday in a row. Now I teach three and I will not teach more than three because I just do it for the love of it. I do it for the passion. Um, it's not really like the money's fine, but it's not, I would rather be in my own business. It's not financially worthwhile. I just do it because I love it. So if I do more than three hours in a row, I don't love it anymore. Okay. So I don't. So I only teach six hours a week now. So I think that that was a big thing. And it was a bit hard because it was a big part of my identity was teaching so much. But taking a step back from how much I taught really helped the balance. So it was kind of as Cairo started to ramp up, teaching, I let ramp down. Uh, So now I guess typically my week, I work Monday day at clinic and then I teach Monday night. And then I try to train after I teach, which is a bit of a struggle sometimes. Um, So I don't always, but I I try to train for an hour or so after I finish teaching Monday night. Then Tuesday mornings I have off and I work Tuesday afternoons at clinic and Tuesday night. Wednesday, same thing. I work afternoon at clinic, night I teach. And again, I try to train after I teach, but depends on how I feel. Thursdays I treat Friday, every second Friday, I have a recurring two hour private lesson. Um, The person comes to my house and I train her for two hours. And then often I'll train pole after I train her. So that's kind of my, like, I'm fresh training day. Um, Not always a given, but sometimes. And how long is that session usually? Your like own training session? It varies probably a few hours. Okay. So you're so I try to make that the, the bigger. So that's probably day. yeah. So maybe like two hours or so. Um, so you're training like four ish hours a week with your own stuff. Potentially, yeah, yeah. Potentially around that. Sometimes maybe a bit more. Sometimes maybe a bit less. Um, and then I am doing. We have a home gym, and so I'm currently training three times a week in the home gym. So that's Sunday. Tuesday and either Thursday or Friday. Okay. So your Fridays can be potentially like a lot of training depending upon what you're Yeah. Doing. So that's why sometimes I try to do Thursdays in the gym and then Friday I'll poll depending. Okay. Yeah. I feel like there's, I have two offshoots with that. Um, yep. A very common question that I get is, Emily, how many classes should I take a week? Okay. <laughs> So your thoughts on that question? It depends. hundred <laughs> percent. And that's like my yeah. like go-to. I'm like, it really depends. What does it yeah. depend on, Lauren? What are we looking at? Um, it depends on your level. It depends on what other physical activity you do. It depends on if you're jumping into these classes or if you've ramped up. It depends on the type of classes that they are. It depends on if you have good recovery strategies in place. It depends on if you're doing other training as well, which I would recommend. Um, it depends on a lot of factors, probably more. They're the, they're the main ones on the top of my head. 
I mean, same. Yeah. That's a question that like, I get why it's something that people ask, but until totally. Yeah. Unless we're going to like dwell into so many different aspects of like who you are as a person, how you operate your life, how you like to train, um, you know, aches and pains, all of that, like basically do an intake with someone. Um, yeah. I can't give you an answer. Like, I can't give yes. you an answer that wouldn't like potentially just be like me straight up guessing to be like, take between zero and 20. Let yeah. me know how it yes. goes. <laughs> that, that's very true. And I think it's also even for my patients, like I can't really give them a hard and fast rule of how many classes I want them to take either. Like you can put in guidelines and things, but it also depends, like obviously getting more um, technical, but, you know, programming depends on say rate of exertion and things like that. So I find a lot of my students to make it worthwhile traveling to the studio because Sydney traffic is horrendous, um, will do maybe three classes in a row, which fine if you're doing the right things and you're having enough recovery and blah, blah, blah. But I find then their their sort of rate of exertion and their their effort they put into the classes is probably a lot less than if they just came for one class. Yeah, definitely. I can't imagine taking three classes in a row. The last class would be me just like laying on the floor watching people dance. <laughs> That's my advanced class. There's I have a static <laughs> tricks class before that. And it's it's hard and they go hard. And then the ones that stay for advanced, they don't even do the warm-up, which is fine because they're already warm. I'm just like, you know, do your rehab, do whatever, stretch, like stay warm, but I, you don't have to do the warm-up because I get you're dead. But they're knackered already by the time we start, which, the, again, this is where it gets complicated. Like there's there's a lot to say for that being good because that's how you build muscular endurance and everything like that. But then there's also the line of at what point are you not really learning stuff because you're so tired? And then at what point is that risking injuring yourself? So there's so many considerations that are so individual that even if you're my patient, like I can't necessarily give you a hard and fast rule either. Yeah, for sure. Well, it depends upon the day, right? Like you could have somebody that like has like zero stress and like is able to rock three classes and like super recovered. And then the next week they could have had just like an absolute shit show happen in their like lifestyle things. Yep. And then the same three classes are is like too much for their body with everything yes. that they have going on. So yeah, there's no really easy way to answer that question. Yeah. I think the easiest way, and it probably sounds like a massive cop out is Either it depends or listen to your body. Yeah, which like requires people to, one, be able to listen to their body, athlete brain, yep. and then two, know what they're listening for. So yeah, it's definitely, yes, yeah, not a, like I understand why people ask it, but it, like, shit, I can't, I can't even answer that for my own damn self. Like, how am I supposed to answer it for you? A hundred percent. I'm the same. A hundred percent. So it is, it's complicated. It's complicated. The other um, kind of scroll moment off of talking about your training is that you mentioned that you train in your home gym. If yep. anyone follows you on Instagram, they know what that looks like. But what yep. what does it look like for those that don't? Um, so it's recently-ish we decided to convert our garage effectively into our home gym. So we're very lucky we have a double car garage with some storage. So we've bought cabinets and pushed all the stuff right to the side and now we've kind of cleared this really big space so we have we have like one of those I don't really use it but we have one of those multi-gym things where you can sort of do like lap pull downs and chest okay. flies and all that sort of stuff um, it has some like cables things like that um, and then we have a rowing machine which I probably should do more of because my upper back is not the best but I also, I'm like, I don't need my arm muscles. It's fine. <laughs> I have enough of those. Really um, hard. Yeah, that too. That too. Um, and then we, so for me, I just train legs in the gym. So barbell, weight plates, squat rack, uh, bench, steps. I have a GHD machine. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. Um, I think that's about it. Oh, like kettlebells dumbbells those sorts of things um but predominantly just weights 
so that and a squat rack so that I can sort of train legs mainly. Okay. Should pole dancers be weightlifting? Yes. 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 Um, I, I, I must, I, I need to disclaimer this with, I did not for a very long time. So when I started pole, I was kind of in the mindset. And this was also because this was very early on in my Cairo studies. So I didn't really know any better when I first started pole. And there wasn't obviously a lot of education about these things. Um, so I didn't, and I just polled and polled and I polled six days a week. I trained so hard and I got good very quickly because obviously the things you practice, you get good at, but I also got injured very quickly. And I think that was because a lot of my strength building was coming from doing the same thing over and over and over around a metal pole twisted and weird versus if you build your strength outside of pole whilst also polling, it will all come together that you're less likely to injure yourself because you're not doing the same repetitive, crazy movements on your body in the pole room, but you're still building so much strength, which is what pole needs. You're also building mobility in things. If you do proper depth in range of motion in your exercises, you'll also build mobility. hundred percent. Yeah. We're going to let go of the weightlifting makes you stiff. It's not true. Depending yes. upon how you train it. Yes. Yeah, look, exactly. And I think people do say that. And like, I, as I said, I haven't, I can't talk superly because I haven't been weightlifting for a huge amount of time. But I, for the average pole dancer, I'm probably considered rather flexible. Um, you know, in my uh, like elite competitive world, there's people that are way more flexible than me. But, you know, I can do some bendy tricks like I can do I don't know what you guys call things in America but I can do like an eagle and a spatchcock things that are rather bendy um and that has not been remotely impacted by my weight training at all nice in in fact I think probably I've gotten stronger in my flexibility ranges from weightlifting so yes highly recommend yeah same I recommend that Every, well, everyone that I interact with, I'm like, you need to be strong in your entire available range of motion. And pole doesn't put you necessarily in that range of motion in an average class. So you're leaving a lot of um, like strength and flexibility and mobility on the table if you're not training outside of class. And I don't mean taking your home pole. Yeah. I mean, picking up something heavy and putting it back down again pushing stuff over your head. Yeah. Yeah. And repeating forever. (laughs) Yeah. So. Yeah. And I must admit, I do have quite a few patients that have come to me for like, I want to get better at my handspring, for example. And I'm like, here, do these exercises. And they're not on pole. They don't look like pole. They don't look like a handspring. And the progress is huge. Like these will be people that have been practicing handsprings for a very long time and can't get them. And I give them maybe four exercises and two weeks later, they're like, oh, it's miles better. Yeah. It's magical how the body works like that, huh? It can be. It is. It is. It's magic sorcery. I just sprinkle a little bit of glitter on people and send them on their way. And now they can hands free. Yeah. One of the people that I've been programming for has been trying to um, invert into an outside leg hang for uh, years. And it, we were, how long have we been working together? less it was like eight weeks maybe um just doing like a full body like strength and conditioning with some like flexibility work and yeah I got a message about like eight Mm -hmm. weeks in that they're like I got it and I'm like yeah like it turns out if you're you get stronger like you can do more tricks (laughs) hooray (laughs) amazing yes (laughs) not surprising but but awesome awesome. yeah which like if you you don't know and there's so much just like bullshit messaging around weightlifting um and people that like present as female weightlifting um society patriarchy like bullshit that we could probably rant about for a long time but there's a lot of (laughs) a lot of benefits especially if you like pull benefits if that's all you care about beyond like just health and like aesthetic benefits to actually strength training Mm -hmm. so do it please (laughs) yes and there's also that a hundred percent. And obviously too, I think this is preached a lot, but people still are worried about it is like, oh, but what if I get bulky? And like, 
A, is that a bad thing? And B, not going to happen. Like, not going to happen unless you try really, 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 really hard for it and you eat specifically for it and that's how you train. I've been trying to grow my ass for like eight months and I don't reckon it's gotten any bigger. And I like three times a week lifting heavy weights. Like, sorry, but you're not about to look like a a man as people, you know, say it. Um, by lifting some weights a little, like occasionally, like it's not, it's absolutely not Definitely. going to happen. So I was in the same boat where like I wanted to, I had like a lot of, um, patients comment that they didn't think I was strong enough to work on them because I'm not a very big person. And, oh gosh, it's been a few years now where I was like, I was just so tired of like dealing with people initially meeting me and being like, you're not going to be able to treat me because you're a small human. And so I'm like, you know what? Like F you guys, like I'm going to like put on some muscle and like get super strong. And like, I'm going to have to gain some weight to do, to do that. Two freaking years of me trying to grow muscle. And I like, I have, but it's literally, it took so long. And like the amount of food that I've been eating is like amazing, but then also ridiculous to make this happen. And so when people are, um, (laughs) Like, like yep. oh, I can't pick it up because I'm going to get bulky. And I'm like, like, you know how fucking hard it is to do this? Like, just pick up this damn kettlebell. You'll be fine. Yeah, you will be totally fine. Like, I saw this thing and it was like, thinking you're going to wait, like pick up some weights and get bulky is like teaching your teenager to drive and thinking they're going to become a NASCAR driver. Yeah, yeah. From, what's that guy's name? The gymnastic guy. Yes, shift movement science. Yes. Yeah, I love him. He's a pretty bomb guy. But I just thought that that was such a good analogy. Like, yeah, cool. Your kid might turn into a race car driver if they try really, 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 really hard. And that is their thing. And that is their sport. And they do nothing else. And that's their goal. But if that's not their goal, it ain't going to happen. Right. Yeah. No, it's like, yeah, like a perfect. I'm like, I want to print this and like put it on my wall. Like perfect analogy. Yes. To it. Um, one final topic because we're coming up on an hour and I want to be respectful of your time. So you are a licensed medical professional and you also are a professional pole dancer. How has that journey been? Um, meaning like I, so I didn't share that I was a pole dancer for a really long time because I was worried that people would interpret that in a negative way. Um, and so it's been a very interesting development to have this be my niche and know that if people Google me, they may see my headshot. They may see a picture of my ass. It's a toss up. That that was the big thing for me. That's literally what I always said. I'm like, I don't want my patients to Google me and see me dancing in my underwear. Um, (laughs) so for me, when I, so I've been polling for uh, just over seven years now. So a really long time. And when I first started competing, I made a stage name. So Lorna is my stage name, um, which a lot of people think is my real name, which is also fine. Um, and I decided that because I wanted to keep things separate. I didn't want someone to Google me and see me dancing in my underwear. I didn't want to not get a job because it wasn't deemed professional and all those sorts of things. And then as I came up towards the end of my Cairo studies at uni and I was teaching pole and pole became my life, I guess. Effectively, initially, I was like, oh, I'm going to have these two separate worlds. And then I realized pole is my world. So they kind of had to collide. And I was like, well, hang on, if I want to open a business, it makes absolutely no business sense to not treat pole dancers and aerialists in this world that I'm already in. So that's kind of when the worlds came colliding together and they kind of had to. And I must admit it was amazing. Like it, it's it's been overall incredible and I'm so glad that I did that. There was, you know, in the initial phases I'd get random people from Google come in and I wouldn't necessarily mention that I polled depending on sort of I guess my read of the person. Um, but even the sort of just regular muggle people that I treat that I have said I poll, the the reception to it has actually been really, really positive. 
Like people are always like, oh, I tried it once or my friend does it or that's so strong. Like people, I think the perception is changing, which is good. Um, people are a lot more receptive to it. But yeah, it was kind of a slow journey, I guess, for me of the worlds crashing together and me realizing that, hang on, this all does have to come together because these are two very important parts of my life that I can't keep separate. I love it. How has the reception from your like colleagues in Australia been? Like, um, fine. Yeah, I think like that I'm aware of. Totally fine. Like while I was at uni, all the people that I was studying with, um, it was totally fine. Like even now, I think like a lot of my colleagues I went to uni with are quite sort of, I guess like proud or you know happy for the success that I've had in my business and things like that. So nothing outwardly, to at least to my face, okay, that I've had has been negative. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's, it's really good. Like I'm, I am quite lucky um, in that. And I still, you know, I still do obviously like have a stage name and a normal, like my normal name. So they are still, I guess, in that regard, a little bit separate. Like if a colleague was to Google me, they probably wouldn't necessarily realize that I poll straight off the bat. Like they'd have to go onto my work Instagram and then through to my personal, like my poll Instagram. So it's not directly, I guess, linked straight away. Okay, that's cool. I've had um, an, an, I shouldn't say interesting journey with it, but when I graduated, I like knew that this was the niche, niche, however you say that word, that I wanted to get in. And I was super excited because the first place that I worked, there was a large like aerial and circus community in the area. And I was like, frick, yes. Like I just need to like make some connections. Um, and I like introduced myself to the owner and started training there. And I'm like, this is going to be like so cool to just have this come, like my dreams come true. And the person that I was working for was not okay with that being my like niche that I wanted to advertise for or advertise myself to. And um, I was like straight up told to never tell a patient that I pole danced. And <gasps> no way. Yeah. Which is, um, it's been something that I've actually like had to like really work through now that I'm like doing it because I'm like, oh my God, like how are people perceiving me? And I'm like, am I viewed differently? Am I viewed as like less of a, a sports Cairo because like I'm not working with like baseball players or football players or like mm-hmm. more traditional sports. So it's been a, it's been an interesting journey and um, something that I, I don't know. I feel like there's still that like little voice in, in the back of my head where it's like, maybe you shouldn't be telling people that this is what you do for fun <laughs> or that you only yeah, t- really treat pole dancers. <laughs> that's so bad though, that that was something that you had to like encounter. And as you said, now it's kind of changed the way that you actually do things. Like that's really poor that she said that, to be honest, like that kind of blows my mind. And again, maybe I'm just very blessed because I did just open my own business and never worked for someone. So that wasn't really something I had to deal with. Yeah. But having said that, I did work for a physio and she did offer me a job as a Cairo when I graduated. Um, I ended up obviously saying no, but she did offer me a job and she was she was completely open to the idea that I polled. Um, so I don't know, maybe you just got really unlucky with the person, but I still can't believe that was something that like it is deemed appropriate to be said even. Yeah, it was an interesting and like really unexpected because um, I hadn't shared up to this point that that was like the specialty that I wanted to like work in, but I like knew it and I was like really excited and had been like strategically planning all of the connections that I was making Mm -hmm. to like have this happen and then to have it, um, yeah, be just like very, very dismissed. And I was like, well, what the frick? Like... Yeah. I don't know who I'm trying to treat now, which like, obviously we can, we can treat more than pole dancers, but it was, yeah, just a, a very interesting um, comment that I was like, oh, okay. And so it's almost a bit dream crushing. Like, unless you leave your job, 
goodbye to your dreams, which is a kind of horrible thing. Yeah, definitely. And that's um, like, I'm not currently working there anymore. So it, it worked out, Good. you know, like it, it happened. <laughs> it was the kick up the bum that you needed, maybe. It was, yeah. Well, it was more like it happened like pretty early on into um, like, I, I don't even actually know if I had like officially started treating patients when this conversation happened. And I like tried to do like a pivot to be like, okay, maybe I'll just like kind of lay low for a little while and then like reapproach it. But then COVID happened and like we decided that we wanted to move out of the state. So it like it all, I was like, well, I don't have to really broach that conversation anymore. I'll just like start my own practice in the back of a pole studio and it'll be great. Amazing. I love it. I'm here for it. That is that is the greatest. <laughs> yeah, it's been super fun. Um, is there anything else that you want to add before we say goodbye? Nothing relevant, but I love because obviously I'm from Australia, so we have different words for things. I absolutely love the squirrel moment. Uh, that is one of my, <laughs> my favorite things that you say whenever I listen to your podcast. It makes me so happy. Like I think we never know. We use like sidebar or side note maybe or like off on a tangent but they're not as fun the terms are not as fun so I just really enjoy the squirrel moment term (laughs) I love it I don't know if other people say it but that's definitely what um like it feels like in my brain where I'm like squirrel (laughs) like (laughs) so much sense and and it has absolutely nothing to do with Cairo or pole but I love it (laughs) yeah I love it too and it's like literally just like part of any conversation that you ever have with me, my like ADD brain will be like, we're here, we're here. And eventually we'll make it back to where we started, but it's, it's a fun time. I feel like that's any good conversation. If something relevant comes up, you've got to dive into it. Yeah, you can't just leave it. Definitely, definitely. Okay, Lauren slash Lorna, it's been amazing chatting with you. And wouldn't you know it, friends, my squirrel brain got the best of me and I forgot to ask Lauren to share how to get in contact with her. So I will be sure to link her Instagram in the show notes. Highly recommend that you give Lauren a follow. She posts some really great videos. I learn something from every single post that she makes on Instagram. So be sure to give her a follow and have a wonderful day. I'll catch you in the next one. Bye.